All right, this morning our text is in Matthew 26, and we're looking at the subject of Peter's downfall. If you look at your bulletin out, uh, outline, <clears throat> I have this statement that everybody uses. Pride goes before a fall. What do we know from our study of the scripture? What do we know about Peter? Well, it can be said of him, as Jesus said of all his disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. John 15, verse 16. That can be said of Peter. It can be said of every disciple of Christ. But we're talking about Peter this morning. We learned the specifics about Peter last week. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20. John's record indicates that Peter was not always known by that name. But his name was changed by the Lord himself. Well, let me read it for you. He brought him, his brother, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated, writes John, is Peter. This is in John 1, verse 42. Cephas is Aramaic for stone, which is exactly what Petros, the Greek word, means, a stone. So, Jesus is saying, I know your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you stone. Cephas. And you can see the trans- transition. They're moving from Aramaic to uh, the idea of the Greek language. And so, John writes, uh, by the way, it's the same meaning as Petros or Peter. Now, this Peter had an illustrious career, if we can say such things, of God's ministers. He had a career as a disciple and as an apostle of Jesus. For example, when Jesus asked his disciples what the people in general thought about him, they answered, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, oh, Jeremiah, or one of the other uh, prophets. This is Matthew 16, verse 14. Then Jesus pressed them, saying this, Okay, but what about you, he asked. What, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Matthew 16, verse 15 through 18. We're told here that Peter's answer was given to him by God, but nonetheless... It distinguished him singularly as the spokesman for the group. And we find Peter almost always taking the lead among the disciples in terms of speaking. Questions that need to be asked, Peter's doing the asking. Problems they're trying to solve in theology, Peter's presenting the problems to Christ. He had what I might call a bold faith. A bold faith. A faith that threw all caution to the wind and made him launch out on uncharted waters. Oh, and by the way, this happened literally, as you remember, when Jesus came to the disciples who were in a boat out on the raging Sea of Galilee. But Jesus came walking on the water. And we read, during the fourth watch of the night, now that would be between 3 and 6 a.m., During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. Can you believe this? Got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Matthew 14, verse 25 through 31. Now, I don't question that Peter's faith was little, as Jesus analyzed, but it was bold. It was bold. That is to say, what faith he had, he used it while what? The other disciples sat shivering in the boat in fear. And that would have been me. I'm staying right here on the you know, on the seat. Notice it, it was Peter that proposed this. Lord, if that's you out there, now they're wrestling in their mind, is this the Lord, is it not, is it a ghost, whatever. And Peter says, if that's you, Lord, how about letting me come out on the water to meet you? Well, come. Now, I just think about that. If you thought that was a ghost out there, And the ghost is answering you. Ghosts are what? Etherical? Spirit? Nothing, you know? The ghost told me to come. I'm coming. Now there was faith here. Faith that it was the Lord. Although halfway or whatever it was, he began to look at the surroundings and began to sink. His faith, his eyes were off of Christ momentarily. But let's give him some credit here. This is a bold, bold faith. Again, we read in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him, notice who he takes with him, Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So there were times when Jesus just took these three guys by themselves to minister And he left the other disciples behind. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish. Here he is, he's dogging again. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's saying, I can erect a monuments for you here. This is a monumental occasion. We ought to have some monuments to remember it. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Translation, Peter, enough with the talking. Just be quiet and listen to my son. Matthew 17, the first five verses. But you see, this was Peter. You know, he's, he's always talking. He's always saying something. He's always got an opinion to share. By now, however, Peter had become used to speaking for the group, also speaking for himself when he shouldn't. It was almost commonplace to expect that Peter would voice his opinion, even contradicting Jesus at times. Really? Yeah. In that chapter we read, Matthew 16, in which Jesus commended Peter for his recognition that Jesus was none other than the Son of God. In that same text, just a few verses later, When Jesus went on to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Matthew 16, verse 21 and 22. I can see Peter doing that. Peter does not seem to see any incongruity between calling Jesus Lord and then proceeding to openly contradict Him. Worse, to rebuke Him. You must have misspoke, Jesus. You know, this business of death and being killed by the religious leaders, that's never going to happen to you. Oh, something worse is going on here. Listen to Jesus' rebuttal. Jesus in turn returned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Diabolos. Get behind me, Satan. Diabolos means slanderer, liar. And it's the same designation given to Judas. Ooh, John 6, verse 70. He goes on. Get behind me, Satan. You, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have your mind set on the things of God, but on the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Matthew 16, verse 23 through 25. What is going on here is that Peter, Peter was not denying himself. He was exerting himself, pushing himself forward. Being um, obnoxious, uh, to boot, in that he thought he could correct, correct his Lord. My grandma used to have a, an expression, he's getting too big for his britches, she would say, of us, of us kids. And that usually followed by some kind of uh, disciplinary measure on the britches. <laughs> Peter had been openly verbose, assured of his position that he thought he could correct the Lord instead of listening, instead of learning. God help us when pride ascends in us to the same point where we think we know how to live life. Pride brought Satan down and it is evident here in Peter that at least for this moment, for this moment when Peter Rebuke the Lord. He was more a child of Satan than a child of God at that moment. And that's why that, you know, I, I think it took a lot for the Lord to, to say to Peter, Satan, Satan, get behind me. You're tempting me here. You don't have your, you don't have your mind on the things of God. You're like somebody else I know. It's out to destroy the things of God. You need to repent. Now secondly, that brings us in, in our outline, Peter's, Peter at Jesus' hearing before the Jewish council. Let's say it this way. Despite Peter's periodic sticking his foot in his mouth, when he should have kept silent, it is nevertheless true, nevertheless true that the night of Jesus' betrayal, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was Peter who whipped out his sword to try to keep Jesus from being arrested by the guards sent by the chief priests. And he whacked off Malchus's ear, which Jesus then had to heal. Now here again is this bold faith... Or is this irresponsible pride? Was he still trying to keep Jesus from fulfilling the mission he had disclosed to all of the disciples just weeks before about the cross and the suffering? 
Pride was still very much a part of Peter's persona in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just hours before Jesus had predicted, verse 31 of our text, this very night you, my disciples, he's addressing them all, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Matthew 26, verse 31 and 32. Peter refused to accept Jesus' analysis. Peter replied, look at verse 33, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Translation, Lord, don't count me among these scaredy cats. They may run away, but I won't. Then Jesus explained something worse for Peter. Not only would he run away, he would disown Christ and he would have disowned him as never being associated with Jesus at all. And he would do this not once, not twice, but three times the same night before the rooster crowed. Did Peter believe him? Verse 35. No, indeed. He heightens his, his claim. Even if, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I read that, and in this it appears, it appears that Peter has postulated the worst that could possibly happen, namely, that um, Jesus might be right uh, about his impending death. Maybe he is going to die. The soldiers may come and arrest you, Lord. They, they, they may take you away to be executed, but I want, you, I want you to know that even if that should occur... I'm going to be right there by your side to die with you. I will never disown you. So while he's come over a little bit to Jesus' understanding of the future events here, he's still instructing the Lord. He's still asserting his own pride. Now don't believe that Peter saw this as pride. I believe that Peter believed with all of his heart what he just said. I'm not like the other guys. You know, Lord, I, I'm going to be there with you. He believed in his unflinching loyalty because he never saw his fidelity, may I say his faith, as a gift of God's grace. He had it. He, he was exercising it at times, but he didn't see the source. Solely God's grace. He thought of faith, as some people do, as my faith. This is my faith. He saw his faith, therefore, to be higher and stronger than that of any of his fellow disciples. So he could not even entertain, can I say it this way? He couldn't entertain the notion. He couldn't even entertain the possibility that he would disown his Lord. Jesus, you must be mistaken. But Jesus was not mistaken. The soldiers came. Judas ratted out Jesus with a traitor's kiss. Verse 49. Peter drew his sword and whacked off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Verse 51. John 18, verse 10. John names the servant, calls him Malchus. Verse 56 of our text. But this... And, but this all took taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled, including Peter. So there is the arrest of the shepherd and the sheep scatter, including Peter. All that being true, then Peter gained his composure. And so did John, for that matter. And in John's record, we read this. Simon Peter and another disciple, John never names himself in his own writings. He always calls himself 
the disciple whom Jesus loved or the other disciple. He uses that kind of terminology. Let me read it again. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Well, wait a minute. I thought they all ran away. Matthew's gospel. They did. Well, then they gained their composure and they begin to follow Jesus. Let me read on. Because this disciple, the unnamed, which is John, and this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, again John, who had known, was known to the high priest, that's how he was able to walk right in, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. John 18, verse 15 and 16. These courtyards were encased by fences with a doorway. And you didn't just walk into somebody's courtyard unannounced and uninvited. John was known by the high priest, so he goes walking in with Jesus. No problem. Peter, mm, who are you? you? You stand right out here. You, stay, you don't go any further. So John had to go and retrieve him. Now here's where the narrative picks up in our text, verse 69, Matthew 26. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. So he was he was outside the fence, now he's inside the fence. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Matthew 26, verse 69 and 70. That's the first denial. I don't know what you're talking about. Back to the gatekeeper, verse 71. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. With God as my witness, I don't know the man. Things are getting worse, aren't they? Third denial. A group of onlookers began to put two and two together. And verse 73 says, After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. For your accent gives you away. Luke 22 verse 59 says that he was a Galilean. They recognized the Galilean accent. It's the same with us. Somebody comes from the south into our territory up here in the northern states. We know immediately where they're from. We may not know the state. Oh, y'all a southerner. We know the accent. They were doing the same way with Peter. You're from the north country. Yeah, you're from Galilee. Now, at this juncture, Peter knew that he was found out. And so he heightened his denial with curses that he began to call down on himself, verse 74. And Luke's account tells us something no other writer tells us. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. Now note, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Only Luke records this for us. Did Peter see? Yeah. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke 22, verses 60 through 62. Thus, Peter's downfall was complete. A man of pride. A man of pride. A man trusting in his own fidelity, not in the grace of God. Now, what lessons can we take to heart? Well, the first one that I have listed here is while Satan cannot possess a believer, listen, while he cannot possess a true believer as he did with Judas, he can nonetheless tempt true disciples to sin against God. And in the temptation, we can fall. Peter fell. When Jesus rebuked Peter for trying to prevent him going to the cross, saying, Get behind me, Satan, that rebuke was not simply hyperbole. That is to say, no, Satan was really using Peter to try to thwart the will of God for the salvation of sinners. 
This is why James warns us, but he, God, gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, writes James, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why is he saying that? Next phrase. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Deal with your pride is what James is saying here. Don't go flippantly, you know. Grieve, mourn. See that you're not the hot shot you think you are. If you humble yourself before the Lord, He'll do the lifting up. You won't have to do it. The sin, the sin that brought Satan down and proved to be the reason for his expulsion from heaven was his pride. His pride. We read and studied that in Ezekiel 28, verse 17. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Ezekiel 28, verse 17. And was it not pride for Peter to boast? Well, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Matthew 26, verse 33. See what pride does? It makes us overly confident. Or worse, it makes us bold enough to defy the Lord and to suggest, not so kindly, I might add, that the Lord doesn't know what he's talking about. Pride also does something else. It minimizes the threat, the danger of Satan's power and makes us believe that we are strong enough in and of ourselves not to be overly charmed or overpowered by Satan's temptations. I can handle this. I fear for our charismatic brethren who talk so flippantly about the devil and what they think they can do to him. They just take that old devil by the horns and throw him out of your life. Do I hear an amen? We're going to drive the devil away so he cannot bother us anymore. Do I hear an amen? No, but you might hear him laughing if you took time. How silly this is. And how downright dangerous it is. Peter warns us, and I might say Peter should know. Peter warns us. Be self-controlled. The Greek word is interesting. Be dispassionate. Peter is saying. Don't get all hyped up here. In your own abilities. Be dispassionate. That's the opposite of being passionate. Be self-controlled and alert. That word means to be cautious, not gullible, not easily persuaded. Let me read it for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know this about the devil? Do you know that he's an enemy? Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Do you know what's going on in the community of the believers? Do you know what the devil's doing? Suffering is going on here. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He's saying you need to look to Jesus. And then he ends with this. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 11. Not we're going to do this and that to the devil. You're not going to do anything. You need to look to Jesus.
Jude also warns us in his little letter about the true reality of misguided passions in false teachers. He says, in the very same way, these dreamers, these false teachers, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said instead, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak, writes Jude, these men speak abusively against whatever they don't understand and what things they do not understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Jude, verse 8 through 10. Jude is really laying it on his people. And he's saying, you know, you better watch your tongue when you're talking about celestial beings, even if they are people like Satan. And you don't go around saying, I'm I'm going to do this and the devil's going to do that and I'm going to... You're not going to do anything. As plainly as I can put it, go up against Satan in your own strength, using your own logic, using your own know-how... And he'll eat you alive like the devouring lion that he is. Contrast that to David. King David. Here's what he says. O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories that you gave. Wow. There it is. Oh, you mean, David, it wasn't your mighty men? Your 600 armed soldiers, your personal attendants, your personal bodyguard? It wasn't those valiant warriors that won your battles for you? How great is his joy in the victories that you gave, Lord. That's Psalm 21, verse 1. First lesson, beware of Satan's temptations to sin. And I don't think he gives a rip about the people of the world. He's already got them in his camp. What he's he's coming after is you. Peter says he's a devouring lion. He's looking for you. He wants to devour you. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to bring you down. It's, It's Adam and Eve in the garden all over again. That's what it is. Second lesson. When we deny the Lord, when we deny the Lord as his people, and it's going to happen, God's grace is there to restore us. There's a very scary verse in the teachings of Jesus from his own lips, and it is this verse. Jesus says, He who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Another writer says, before God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be given. When you are brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Luke 12, verses 9 through 12. Let me ask this. Wasn't this Peter's problem? (laughs) We read in John 18, verse 18 and 19, It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus. He's just an earshot away, remember. Questioned Jesus about what? About his disciples. And his teaching. John 18 verse 18. What is this? It is Peter like Daniel of old. Standing in the lion's den. He was standing shoulder to shoulder with Jesus' accusers. And while he was with them. 
the high priest was interrogating Jesus, just an earshot away from Peter, about, of all things, his disciples and his teaching. And you know what? This struck fear into Peter's heart. He and John were there in the courtyard of the home of the high priest. Soldiers and the enemies of Jesus were everywhere. They were being questioned and then accused Jesus of blasphemy and then bound Jesus and then led him off to Pilate. And Peter was there to see it all. Were he and John going to be next? What would happen? What would happen if the officials standing there at the bonfire were to discover that he was a disciple of Jesus? Did not Jesus himself teach the disciples? Remember the words that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. John 15 verse 20. So Peter's thinking. They got Jesus. They're interrogating him. He's bound. They're abusing him. They're questioning him about his disciples. It's all about not just Jesus, but Jesus and his group. What if I'm found out? Peter was in the clutches of Rome's iron grip. And I'm sure he thought he was a goner. At that moment, his fear was stronger than his faith. And he disowned the Lord with curses and oaths. And if that were the end of the story, if that were the end of the story, then yes, his denial would have proven fatal because his profession of faith would have been proven false, as in the case of Judas. But thank God that's not the end of the story because guess what? It's not the beginning of the story. Jesus made this promise. Simon, Simon. Jesus is talking to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. I like that. Satan had to ask for it. He has to ask for anything he does to God's people. Job, same boat, same, same boat. So, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, the Greek term means to turn about, to reverse oneself. It's another word for repentance. When you have turned back, I want you, Simon, to strengthen your brothers. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. When Jesus looked straight at Peter in that courtyard after his third denial, what did Peter do? The scripture says he went out. And he wept bitterly, bitterly. These are not crocodile tears, folks. These are the tears of a broken man. Have you ever been broken before the Lord for your sin? These were tears of contrition and repentance. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, we have proof. On resurrection morning, when the women reported to Peter and John that the tomb was empty, we read, so she, the she is Mary Magdalene, came running to, get it now, Simon Peter and the other disciple, here we are again, Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So, Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. John 20, verse 2 and 3. Okay, why was Peter with John? And how did Mary Magdalene know where to find him? Well, Peter was with John and later with the rest of the disciples because, because... He had repented of his sin and had turned back. History shows that he became 
the chief teacher and mentor and evangelist of the Jewish constituency of the faith. We also have proof that Jesus forgave him his denials. At the tomb, the angel made a point to single Peter out as he instructed the women, Go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of them into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Mark 16, verse 7. Additionally, we have, we have the wonderful account in John 21 where Jesus met with Peter and the other disciples on the lakeside. This is after his resurrection. And he questioned Peter three times, one time for every denial. Peter, do you truly love me? More than these referring to the other disciples. You see where he's coming from here. Those guys may desert you, Lord, but I never will. Jesus says, oh yeah, you will. Not once, not twice, but three times. So, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? And Peter answered in the affirmative. So Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? A third time. One, two. You think that's coincidence? One, two, three. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Finally, Peter was hurt. It says, the scripture says he was hurt because Jesus asked the third time. Every time Peter affirmed his love for Christ in these three questions... Lord, yes, yeah, you know I love you. He said it three times. Jesus followed with this. Then feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Does that sound like Peter's still on the outs with Christ? No, he's been forgiven by Christ. And then, and then, Jesus capped this discussion with the same words that he used in Peter's original call. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. John 21, verse 19. I can say very emphatically that Jesus forgave him and restored him to disciple status. And so he does for those of us who have denied him on occasion and have thereafter repented and sought his forgiveness. Charles Wagge's hymn beautifully expresses it this way. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. That's Jesus with Peter who denied him. And that is Jesus with you and me on those times when we denied Christ either by lip or by life. So when denial is on our lips, forgiveness and restoration are in God's heart awaiting our repentance. It's a great truth to learn. And then a third truth here, and this is something we Christians need to learn, and it is this. Sometimes good intentions go sour. You say, what do you mean? Well, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, we learn that all the disciples to a man fled in fear, and they ran literally for their lives. But then, then something happened. Peter and John composed themselves. They got a grip of their fear, and they began to follow the entourage to Caiaphas' house where he had assembled the Jewish council to interrogate and, yes, to condemn Jesus. And only John tells us this. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple, John, was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, this is John, 
who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. John 18, verse 15, verse 16. Bad move. Really a bad move. John was there. When Jesus told Peter, I tell you the truth, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Matthew 26, verse 34. John could have left Peter outside the courtyard, but he was feeling magnanimous. It was cold outside. We know that. We can read the text. But there was a nice bonfire roaring inside. Why not bring Peter, a fellow disciple, into the warm? That would be a kind thing. Why not do that? Because the courtyard was rife with conspirators and slanderers and all kinds of wicked people with an itch to nail Jesus to a cross. That's why not. John was known to the high priest and so... He likely enjoyed a measure of acceptance, maybe even a protection. But Peter stood out as a Galilean with an accent that gave him away. And the fear factor escalated in Peter, which was absent in John. But it was John who put Peter in that position. He meant well, I'm sure of that. He did ill. Bad move. What am I saying? I'm saying this. Not all believers can handle your strength. So be cautious. Paul writes it this way. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13 verse 10. Or again, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Romans 15 verse 2. Or again, each of you should look not only on your own interests but also on the interests of others. Philippians 2 verse 4. Oh, and once more. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 11. You may know something that he doesn't know. Yeah, I say, oh, that's nothing. And you put them, or him or her, in jeopardy because of the strength of your knowledge and faith. You say, well, Peter wasn't destroyed. Well, that is true, but only because the grace of God intervened. That's why. We cannot throw our brothers and sisters to the wolves with the notion, oh, well, God will rescue them. Well, he may rescue them or he may not rescue them. That's his, according to his purpose. But what will happen to you? Be cautious about what you know. Be cautious about what you believe you have liberty to do. Be cautious about the freedom of places you frequent. What is okay for you may be damning to others just because they are not with you spiritually yet. They do not have your knowledge yet. They're back here and you're pushing them up here. It's a caution we need to know as Christians. Well, I read through all this and I think Satan must have felt mm, pretty proud of himself by about now. I mean, think about it. He had manipulated the religious leaders to conspire against their true Messiah. He had successfully empowered Judas to betray his Lord. And he has sifted Peter so cruelly that Peter broke by disowning the Savior. Wow. Satan is having a heyday. It's like he can do no right and he's getting awarded for all the evil he's doing. 
But the victory was not his for the taking. And we'll see that next week. Lord, bless thy word to our hearts. Help us to be cautious. Help us not to be prideful and overly confident. Help us not to be passionate in the sense of just wildly going for things that have no merit just because we think God has built a hedge around us. That kind of pride, he may just let us fall flat on our face as he did here with Peter. I pray that you will forgive us for those times when we too have denied you. I mean, we had an opportunity to speak, but we got scared and we didn't. Or we had an opportunity to go and do something for others that would have been a tremendous blessing. But we didn't do it. We had other things to do. We have let down on our duties and responsibilities to Christ and his church. On and on it goes. And Satan is behind these temptations. And sadly, sadly we have succumbed to the temptations rather than as we are told by James, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We haven't done very much resisting. I pray that you'll help us. Help me. Help the leaders of our church in particular. That God might be glorified not only in what we say, but how we live. To the praise of Jesus, with thanksgiving, we offer this prayer. Amen. Our closing hymn is found in the Trinity hymnal. And that's 568 in Trinity.